The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Vanguard, you're more than just an investor. You're an owner. That means your priorities are Vanguard's too. So whether you're planning for retirement or trying to save up for your next big adventure, Vanguard will work alongside you to set personalized investment goals. That's the value of ownership. All investing is subject to risk. Vanguard is owned by its funds, which are owned by Vanguard's fund shareholder clients. Vanguard Marketing Corporation Distributor. Episode 182 of the Rise and Shine podcast and the featured guest this week, one of my all-time favorite sportscasters, the legendary Dan Patrick is on the Rise and Shine podcast and he's got a great new book out. It's hilarious and I'm excited to chop it up with Dan Patrick and you guys are going to absolutely love it. So he's one of the all-time great sports anchors and sports radio hosts and has done some incredible things in his career. And, you know, I was obsessed with the big show on SportsCenter growing up and he was one of the biggest influences in my career in terms of wanting to be on television and the personality that he and Keith Oberman had. It was next level in terms of a combination that that's why I start every radio show with the big show in honor of the big show. I was just mesmerized by Patrick and Oberman. And before you hear the interview we do with Dan Patrick, I speaking of being mesmerized, the Buffalo Bills. We're taping this at 1 o'clock Eastern on Tuesday the 14th, right after the Buffalo Bills just lost to the Denver Broncos to fall to 5-5. Five and five. And right after we finished Shine on Sports, Ken Dorsey got fired as the offensive coordinator of the Buffalo Bills. And listen, I got to tell you, Ken Dorsey, Ken Dorsey, not Sean McDermott, How the Buffalo Bills gave Sean McDermott a contract extension this summer, and we ranted and raved about it on the podcast and on Shine on Sports and on television, on Time to Shine. I mean, absolutely insane. And the fact that he had 12 men on the field for a field goal at the end, when Sean Payton fouled up that entire thing late in terms of when to kick the field goal and Denver had to rush and they were holding for that field goal and Sean McDermott should have his field goal unit on the team or field goal team on the field beforehand. I mean, that is a terrible job by by Sean McDermott. That that is a mess. That is a fiasco. That is a disaster. Welcome to hell, Buffalo, New York and Buffalo Bills. That that is as pathetic and as sloppy and as unacceptable as it gets. And on that same drive, how about the fact that he inexplicably blitzed on third and ten? Sent the house, made no sense, or they were out of field goal range. One thing to blitz, and they did the play before, and it worked, and it knocked Russell Wilson and Denver out of field goal range. And A.J. Espineza was able to get to Russell Wilson, and well, they do it again. It was out of the old Greg Williams playbook. It was just unfathomable, made no sense. And third and ten, Russ decides to chuck a, an underthrown ball, and that's what you do to get that spot foul of defensive pass interference. Jerry Judy sold the hell out of it. It was clear P.I. on Johnson, and... 
What a disgrace. So, you know, they're going to fire Ken Dorsey. It's not his fault to anything that transpired at the end of ultimately what transpired of that pathetic, pathetic, embarrassing loss. And, you know, it's Sean McDermott who, you know, found up the 13 seconds against Kansas City, who found up the in-game management and everything that transpired against the Minnesota Vikings. And, you know, Sean McDermott in the Tennessee game uh, went to go for two and went not. And Sean McDermott's defense against Cincinnati this past year in the divisional round can't fire Leslie Frazier again. So might as well fire the offensive coordinator. What a joke. And Josh Allen is clearly trying to overcompensate and do too much. And I feel bad for Josh. And I feel bad for our guy, Bob Stu. We had a sizzling radio show fresh off of it. I'm always foaming at the mouth after a show like that. And, you know, the Bills are 5-5, five and five, and I don't think they're going anywhere. I said, you know, in this very tough and competitive and fun and wide-open AFC, they can win the, the conference. They're 5-5. Five and five. They got the Jets this weekend at Philly, at Kansas City. Dallas, they have to play in Miami. They have the Chargers later on in the season. I, I don't see any way the Buffalo Bills make the playoffs at this stage. So, I mean, I'm, I'm sick for Bills Mafia. I'm sick for lovely Western New York. And, you know, we had some wild people calling into the show today. And, and Bob Stew, our executive producer for the Rise and Shine podcast and for Shine on Sports, I mean, Bob, you had to deal with some of this insanity here because people are just flying off the handle and all the Josh Allen haters are out in full force. I think that's it, Adam. Insanity. I mean, the insanity around Josh Allen, people saying he's overrated, overhyped. I can't listen to this garbage, Adam. I can't listen to this nonsense. I mean, the worst call we took was a guy who said, why doesn't Josh Allen get the heat that Zach Wilson gets I, for his turnovers. And I said, because Josh Allen leads the league in touchdowns. He, he 24, Adam, he leads the league in touchdowns. I know the interceptions are up. Half of them came in two games this year. Josh Allen's not the, he's not the guy to blame for all this. He just isn't. And it's just incredible just seeing people twist into a pretzel trying to tear down Josh Allen. When, look, the offense – it still ha it still ranks pretty high in pretty much everything, right? I think the reason they fired Dorsey, to be honest, Adam, is more about how the offense has looked in the big game. You know, they they have really on national TV have looked pretty bad in a few different spots this year, right? The Jets game, three interceptions. Last night, the Denver game, two interceptions. The Giants game in prime time, they only scored 14 points. I mean, they have been pretty poor in the big spot, especially offensively, and of course. Last year against Cincinnati in the postseason, they only scored 10 points. So, you know, everybody can spit out all the numbers they want about how the offense assembled last year and it ranks in the top five and, and pretty much everything and this and that. It's more about the fact that they have been coming up short in these big games, Adam. That's why Ken Dorsey, I think, is done. I agree with you. And, and listen, I, I'm not a big Ken Dorsey fan. I, I think that change was inevitable there. I think that for the issues for the team and for the offense, it's on Sean McDermott. Remember, this is Sean McDermott in the offseason who said he wanted Josh Allen to stop running and, you know, wanted him to curb the enthusiasm. And, you know, it's now his defense. He's been meddlesome with the offense. So, you know, you want to fire Ken Dorsey? Whatever. This, to me, is all about Sean McDermott. Right guy to ultimately bring credibility back and he won a lot of games after Rex Ryan and that clown show and, you know, give him credit for that. But, you know, he, he turned and changed the culture in a positive way in Buffalo, but is he the guy to take the team to the Super Bowl? Absolutely positively not.
Dan Patrick is going to join us on the Rise and Shine podcast right after this. The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car. It's the two-door coupe that was there for your first drive. The hatchback that took you cross-country and back. And the minivan that tackles the weekly carpool. For the cars you couldn't live without, trust Amica Auto Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Vanguard, you're more than just an investor. You're an owner. That means your priorities are Vanguard's too. So whether you're planning for retirement or trying to save up for your next big adventure... Vanguard will work alongside you to set personalized investment goals. That's the value of ownership. All investing is subject to risk. Vanguard is owned by its funds, which are owned by Vanguard's fund shareholder clients. Vanguard Marketing Corporation Distributor. NFL fans, right now on the SXM app, hear in-depth coverage of your team with the Believe Podcast Network on Sirius XM. It's all the analysis, all the breakdowns that matter to you, hosted by the players who played for your team and the fans who eat, sleep, and breathe it. 32 diehard fan bases, 32 podcasts. The Believe Podcast Network on Sirius XM. B-L-E-A-V. Search Believe in, followed by your team on the SXM app, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The featured guest this week on the Rise and Shine podcast, legendary sportscaster, one of my all-time favorites. He has an unbelievable new book out, my guy, Dan Patrick. Dan, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. It is great to have you here on the Rise and Shine podcast. And well, I'm going to tell you later in the interview why you're one of my all-time favorites and a real impact in, in my career. But I want to start with the book because I think it is just incredible. And I read it and it's hilarious. And it's not your typical NFL history book in in any way, shape or form. The occasionally (laughs) accurate annals of football, you and Joel Cohen. I mean, the humor is unbelievable. And I just want to get everyone to page 101. In a changing world, there's one constant. The Jets stink. And if there's one perfect (laughs) sentence and way to sum up the genius, Dan, and the beauty of this book, (laughs) I think it's that right there. Yeah, we didn't want to be burdened by proving something, the truth. But this is, we're we're not burdened at all. This was easy to prove that they're not any good. But 
we we wanted to have fun with this and it happened accidentally because joel cohen is one of the great writers with the simpsons and he called me and he said i'd like for you to be a broadcaster uh, on a simpsons episode and i said absolutely as long as i'm not playing myself and he said you're gonna be the announcer on homer's rock skipping competition i said great <laughs> And then we got done. I did my lines for an upcoming episode. And then he started, he said, I got some questions. Do you have some time? And these were things, he goes, I don't have an outlet. You have an outlet. I, you know, the butt fumble. Why is that on Sanchez? It's not his fault. His offensive lineman got blown up by Vince Wilford. And then he started talking about the tuck rule, what you'd bring to a tailgate, like all of these things. And then we just started going back and forth. And he goes, the Wizenator, Ontario Smith. <laughs> I mean, nobody ever credits him for really the creativity. And I go, you're right. So we sort of had this verbal tennis match of ideas. And then he goes, can I write these down? I said, yeah, go ahead. He goes, I think we have a book here. And I go, sure. Yeah. And then he came back to me and he goes, uh, let's talk some more. We had like three or four of those sessions. And then he goes, I got friends who got some things to get off their you know, chest too. Andy Richter from Conan. You had Saturday Night Live writers. You had uh, fellow Simpsons writers, New York Magazine. Like everybody had something that they wanted the world to hear. And I go, that's even better. Somebody can help write my book. I'm all in favor <laughs> of that. So we had fun. And hopefully everybody understands it's, you know, have a sense of humor with it, including the people that we make fun of in the book. See, I thought it was all serious because, you know, I read the chapter that said Tom Brady worst of all time, Dan, and I just figured this was yeah. the hottest take ever. <laughs> so get, give us some of the facts, if you can, because I love the way you and Joel frame this. The facts on why Tom Brady is the worst of all time. Well, no, I don't want to ruin that, though, Adam. I mean, I, I have to entice you to buy the book. So Fair enough. We, we wanted to. We we wanted to make sure we did compare Tom Brady's diet with that of the late great Kenny Stabler, who used to have uh, bacon rolled <laughs> cigarettes at his disposal. Um, but you know we we do mention Brady didn't get to the Super Bowl every year. There are guys who got there you know in their first year. Does that make them the greatest of all time? That's up for debate. That's up for debate. It's a discussion. Oh, by the way, and Adam Sandler Adam Sandler wrote the forward, and he's a diehard Jets fan. But he didn't know what a forward was. And he was like, Danny, I'll do it. What do I do? I go, just write. He goes, all right, how long? I go, until you stop. He goes, what do I write about? I said, you love the Jets. You hate the Patriots. He goes, done. And then he uh, texts me back. And he goes, I can't say mean things about Tom Brady. I like Tom Brady. I hate the Patriots. But I'll still say some stuff about the Jets. I mean, imagine being a Jets fan in New Hampshire growing up. Oh. Like, how does that happen? There's no reason to be a Jets fan in New Hampshire growing up. No reason. And I love the fact that Sandler had no idea what a forward actually was. And, you know, that's, <laughs> that, that's just incredible. And, and it is interesting. I want to talk to Hank Azaria about this. It is amazing how many comedians are Jets fans. Have you ever thought about that? It's actually, you know, Larry David, big Jets fan, Adam Sandler, Kevin James. You have a lot of comedians, and it's kind of sick and twisted, who root for the Jets. But you have to have a sense of humor to be a Jets fan. And I think being a comedian, you have to have a sense of humor. Plus, they were in New York 
probably doing their stand-up or trying to get started in, in their careers, and maybe they fell in love with the Jets for, for whatever. Maybe they could identify, because it feels like comedians are damaged people, so they probably yes. look at the Jets and say, I can relate to that, that <laughs> franchise. <laughs> Better to laugh than cry. And Dan, I, I got to tell you, when, when you announced you know, the new contract with the Dan Patrick Show and said, all right, retirement's on, on the horizon, and, you know, my radio show is, is, is the same time as yours. So I, I often get to listen to the clips. I used to be able to listen to it in its entirety. When you were on Mad Dog Sports Radio and I was on at 12 to 3, I used to listen to the whole thing. I, I think in so many ways, your radio show, it, it doesn't even get enough credit for the changing of the guard in sports radio from yelling and screaming to really passionate thoughtful ensemble shows and how to do it yeah. it really set a, a trend in the industry how would you describe because i love it and it's very different as a new yorker and i'm 46 years old from what i grew up on how would you mm -hmm. describe the secret sauce in the dan patrick radio show i don't think there's any secretive sauce here it's it's more of just they're guys that I like. We have fun with each other. We we say what's on our mind. And, you know, I was inspired by Howard Stern, where Howard would get information out of his, you know, backroom guys and made them interesting. And and Fritzy, there's nobody like Fritzy. Uh, you know, Paulie's been doing this with me for a long time. We just brought in Marvin and been an unbelievable uh, addition. And Seton's been with us for a long time. And it's just familiarity. And I, I don't like to yell at people and I don't like to be yelled at. And if you're up in the morning, do you want somebody yelling at somebody, even if they're not yelling at you? And I, and there are times when we get passionate and we raise our voice, but it's, it's really trying to let the audience know we respect you. Uh, come on in and sort of observe eavesdrop, be a voyeur. And that's what we did with the TV portion of this. I have, I think, 13 or 14 cameras in here. We don't acknowledge the camera. The camera just finds us. So we're just kind of letting you into our little clubhouse here. Sometimes we talk sports. Sometimes we talk other things. But we're talking life. I I'm, I'm can give you advice on raising three daughters. You know, what's it like to drop, you know, your child off at school? I have no qualms. And I, I, I feel fortunate to be able to tell people Hey, these are things that I went through. And so it's more of a connection that's really important. You let me into your car, just like when I did Sports Center. You let me into your bedroom or your living room. That intimacy should not be lost. And you should take advantage of that. And I think that's what we try to do. How we're we're speaking with you, not at you. And I think that's really important. And that's sort of the way I grew up understanding the business. And I have great, great respect for radio, far more than I do than TV. Well, I'm so happy you just framed it that way because I've always wanted to ask you this. And you say more respect for radio than TV. And people ask me, you know, radio versus TV. I said, there's, there's nothing like radio. 
there's nothing like, you know, every single morning and you have that palette and you could paint any different way you want. You got to be right at the end of the day in terms of how you structure the show. But there's something so, so pure and rolling up your sleeves and figuring out who you're going to interview and what you're going to do and what the monologue is and how you're going to start hour two and come out of break in the middle of the final hour. I mean, that, I just I love the process of of making the donuts. Dan, I think whether it's local level or national level, oftentimes programmers will fail on taking shots with sports anchors who are not built for sports radio. When you were carving out your unbelievable career on SportsCenter, did you always know you wanted to do radio? Well, I knew I wanted to do sports when I was 12. And I knew where I was. I just read Sports Illustrated. I was cutting out the pictures. It was a uh, Thursday when I got it. And I would read it, consume it, and I would cut out pictures, put them on the wall, and then I'd put it back downstairs. And my dad would come home, and he would pick up the Sports Illustrated, and it would be all carved up. And then he said, I'm getting your, your own subscription. <laughs> and to me, it was his acknowledgement of, if this is what you want to do, then go ahead and do it. Now, that's what I read into it. And then I had two brothers in radio, and I, I just love the connection. Because when you think about it, if I say something, you have to visualize it on radio. If I say Michael Jordan, now all of a sudden you have a picture of Michael Jordan. So I, that's the power of it. Whereas TV, I'm, I, I'm complimenting the video I'm showing you. On radio, I have to create the video in your head. And I love that. I love that you could call the show text the show, email the show. I love that reciprocation. Once again, it's treating your audience as they're a member of the family and not, you know, they're sort of along for a necessary evil or anything like that. It was just having that relationship and it's powerful. And it's, it's been that way since I left ESPN, you know, we, we've had those moments where you go, you have an impact on somebody's life. Yeah. And that that's that's why we do what we do. It's not it's not the notoriety. It's not the money. It's not the prestige. It is a connection with somebody who is just a regular person. And it's never, ever lost on us when somebody says what you mean to me in my life or I was going through a bad time. You were there. That's that's what I want to be. I want to be there. I want to have fun, share in the moments. You might not like what I say, but you come back the next day. You respect that, you know, this is my take. You have your take. You have an opportunity to give it to me if you want to. I love that. And that's what it's all about in terms of that connection with with radio and the, how pure it is and the interaction with, with the audience. I, I've said that forever. I, when I talk to college kids, when Syracuse has me back, or I talk to the kids at WAR, the radio station in Syracuse, and they ask me about interviewing, I always say, listen to Dan Patrick. And in my opinion, but, but Dan, seriously, what makes you a great interviewer, and tell me if you buy this, agree with this, the art of listening. People don't listen. I, I always say, don't, don't script an interview on radio. You could have a notepad, I still do, and I have a couple of bullet points and have a thought and have a plan, but listen. Is that fair on my part? You're always ready. You're always prepped. You ask the right questions. But I think in, in all of sports radio, when it comes to interviews, you're the best listener 
when you're interviewing a celebrity or an athlete or a coach or a GM? Would you say that's part of the arts of a Dan Patrick interview? Well, I think you have to be curious about the person you're interviewing. They have to be more important that you really want to get information. A lot of times interviewers want to impress you with their question or they know what your answer is going to be. To me, that doesn't make for a good interview. I want to there's nothing wrong with saying why or how or when or where or who. Even if I know the answer, my audience doesn't know the answer. I'm the conduit to you staying in your car because you want to hear the rest of this conversation. And listening to somebody, they're going to tell you something that they may not think they're telling you something, and then you act upon that. And you're right, just listening. It's amazing how you phrase a question, always open-ended, and then listen. Because I learned this many, many years when my kids would come home from school and I'd say, how was your day? Good. Well, I wasn't getting anything. So I yep. would say, tell me the best part of your day. And then they would talk to you. And that's all you wanted. And I mean, I do this even now with people. If, if I want to hear from you, I want to open it up and just say, you know, what makes this so special for you? And then let them say something. Then I might pick out something. But it's I don't script anything. I just have topics that if I'm going to get there, I can get there. Um, and if I don't, then I don't. But you, you, you do have to check off some of the questions that the audience is expecting you to ask. And there are times when I'll go, I was told that you were not going to answer this, but I have to ask you this because ultimately I'm working for my audience, not the media, not media critics, not fellow broadcast, none of that. It's ask the question. If you say, no, I'm not going to answer that. Okay. I just want to be on record of asking that. Be respectful of who you're, I don't do gotcha. I can still get information, Yep. but I can do it in a way I want to disarm you that you don't realize that you're talking to me on radio and or TV. It's like grabbing a phone conversation. Really, that's the goal. If I get you talking, then you're going to tell me something. And if if you feel like you're being interviewed, which I don't like the word, um, then you're you're going to feel like there's an interrogation there. And I don't want that. If If I sit down with you, can I ask you this question in the same way I would ask you if I had you on the show? That's my goal. I love that. Yeah, I have a very similar philosophy in terms of how to do an interview and not make it a quote unquote interview. And I always say to my producer, all right, here are the five things that the audience needs. And let's see if we can hit it during the course of it. But we're going to listen and not force it in and have a conversation. Don't do it for anyone else other than the audience. I I love that. But also research, though, Adam, uh, you know, Howard Stern is a great interviewer because he does great research. 100%. Where you pick out something really small, where you go, I didn't know that. Now you're letting the person who you're interviewing know that you did your homework. Because I've been on shows before where people don't really know things or they're not asking the questions they probably should, and they probably didn't do their homework. And then you'll get somebody who'll go, hey, I remember this moment. Boom. Why did that happen? How did that happen? Where, you know. How'd you come up with that idea or that, you know, then you know that somebody has followed your career or did research on it. And I, you'll have more respect and be more willing to open up to that person who you feel like you did your work. I'll do my work. And athletes are competitive. 
I try to tap into your competitiveness. I want you to give me a great answer. And it goes back to Howard Stern. Those guests go on and they want to impress Howard Stern. That's right. They want to impress his audience. And that's what I want. I want you to come into our show, come up to our level or down to our level and be, <laughs> let our audience know that you get us, that, that you're part of them as well. And, you know, that's a goal every single day. So in my research for this interview, as <laughs> I mean, how, how's that as a segue? Dan, okay. I, had no, yeah. I had no idea that Patrick wasn't your last name. I had at, yeah. when I'm and I, I've been researching this interview for the last, you know, four days. I got Patrick 20, 25 minutes. I had no idea. And I do know you always talk about, you know, the attachment that you've had with your dad, with your family. Was that mm -hmm. difficult? The fact that you had to not go by your last name? Well, I was at CNN and I think I was 27 at the time. And when you grow up with the last name of Pew, you grow up probably fighting that somebody's <laughs> going to make fun of you. So I got to be 27. I was done with that. Like, okay, nobody's going to make, you know, it's not high school or grade school. And I went to CNN and I remember when I was there and my boss, he said, you're going to have to change your name. And as God is my witness, I thought he meant my first name because I'm like, I like, I'm not going to, nobody else is going to have that last name. <laughs> and he said, people will make fun of you if you make a mistake. And he said, I would take your, you know, whatever your middle name is, maybe do that. And that's how it started. But at that point I would have, if they said, we want your name to be Clarabelle, like I would have <laughs> done that. I didn't, I wanted to get in the business and I was getting to the point where at 27, I wasn't doing full-time sports and I wasn't on TV and I, I just lost out on a local job in Dayton, Ohio, the weekend job. And I only went to Atlanta to visit a, a former girlfriend. And she said, CNN's hiring. I go, I can't get a job in Dayton, Ohio. I can't get a job at channel two in Dayton. And lo and behold, I got hired to do headline sports. And, uh, so when they said, you got to change your name, we'd advise it. I'm like, okay. And my brothers understood it. My sisters didn't. And I go, you guys got married and changed huh. your last name. What are you talking about here? And then they realized what they were saying. But I think they were just, they were protective of the name and who we are. And my father and my mother and, you know, relatives. And, and I wasn't running from anything or hiding from anything. It was just whatever you want me to do. I'll do it. And uh, that was the case. I mentioned I'm 46 years old and a New Yorker, and I'm, I, I'm a, like the first child of sports radio. I mean, WFAN started in 1987. I was 10 years old, and I, I was obsessed. I was sports radio, yeah. wanted to be a radio host. like that. That was it in terms of I found it. I'm 10. I'm going to be a sports radio host. And I used to wake up uh, in the mornings. My parents still laugh at me. And on, on the weekends and watch SportsCenter. Not, not tape it on the, you know, the, the VHS or VCR. I, I would just watch Charlie Steiner on the weekends. And when you and Keith were paired together, I mean, Dan, it was like magic. I mean, I have my books behind me like, you know, everyone else does. You know, they put, I mean, this was to me the big show. 
This was <laughs> this book. I read it probably five times when it just mesmerized by it. Yeah. What was that like hosting that show with Keith Oberman at that time when Sports Center was king? You guys were Sports Center, let me say that. This is Sports Center was your creation. I wanted to see the highlights and I wanted them delivered by Keith and Dan. Well, there's a lot there to unpack, but I when I was at CNN, I was there for six months. Keith Oberman was the New York reporter for CNN. He left to take a job, I believe, in Boston, WCBB. And my boss said, uh, what do you know about New York? And I said, what do you need to know? Have you been there? I said, of course. I said, are you interested in being the New York reporter? So I was going to cover Baltimore, Boston, Philly, New York, D.C. Anytime a sporting event would come up. I replaced Keith. And then I go back to CNN, I anchor some, and then I my contract ran out, I called ESPN, and then I went to ESPN. I was there for a couple of years working with Bob Lee on the 11 o'clock. I get called into my boss's office and said, you know, sit down. And I, I thought I was in trouble. I said, uh, we would like to bring in Keith Oberman and pair him with you on the 11 o'clock sports center. And I go, is, is that why I'm here? And they go, yeah, we just wanted to make sure you're okay with it. I go, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but Keith was coming off of local sports where you get three to five minutes, maybe. And I remember the first sports center we did, he was exhausted after like the first, I don't know, 15 minutes of the show. I said, you got to pace yourself. But he was so used to doing that weekend or uh, weekday sports where it's three to five minutes, got to get everything in and everything's, fr you know, a frenetic pace. And he needed to learn how to do highlights, long highlights through the course of the show. And he credits me with helping him, not that he needed help, but we realized we had something. We never dissected it. We never discussed it. It was our philosophy was when we went on the air, let's try to entertain the other person. However, that is serious, uh, silly. Uh, highlights, whatever it, it's going to be, how you wrote, because we we wrote everything, and we would get done with the show. We'd go our separate ways. We'd come back. We'd do it again. Mm. And I I, th I really think what happened was, and I've mentioned this many times, management didn't want another Chris Berman. In fact, my boss at the time, Steve Bornstein, said, we don't know, we don't want another uh, bleeping Chris Berman because he had become a star and you know, they, they didn't want to have more of those in there. Then they couldn't control everybody. So Keith and I, what we did was really against the wishes of management. If we had too much fun, they did not want us to be personalities. I mean, now they come back and they embrace it and say, you know, they're responsible, which is, you know, total bullshit, but <laughs> they should have wanted more Chris Berman's. Of course, Berman and Bob Lee and Tom Meese are the founding fathers. Yes. There. And, you know, Keith and I had to do it kind of in a clandestine way, surreptitiously throwing in things. So we had all these little side quips there and, you know, double meanings like that's what we did. But we were entertaining each other. And, and if they had encouraged us to be that like they do their anchors now, it wouldn't have been as successful. We really went into that having sort of a co-op 
you know, we were trying to be uh, undercover. We were trying to do it in a way that they didn't realize that we're making fun of somebody in management or how we did the highlights. But, you know, we did we got verbally spanked one time. And that's where the this is Sports Center ad campaign started when they kept saying, you will say, not the big show, this is Sports Center. And, you know, it came out that I was taking credit for it. I only take credit for it that I went to my boss, John Walsh, and I said, why don't we promote Sports Center? Because we don't need to. I go, you promote all these other shows. And then he goes, all right, well, uh, maybe we can do an ad campaign. Wyden and Kennedy came in. They stayed with us for like 10 days, observed us, went back, started writing commercials. Well, we couldn't get any athletes to be in those commercials. Nobody. Because you didn't get paid and you didn't want to go to Bristol, Connecticut. <laughs> and I reached out to Jason Kidd and Grant Hill. I said, look, will you do me a favor? And they came to Bristol. And those are the first two This Is Sports Center promos that we did. If, if I'm taking credit for it, it's just because I said we should have an ad campaign. And we overemphasized This Is Sports Center. And I got Jason Kidd and Grant Hill to come in and do the first first two and then after that everybody wanted their quote-unquote espn commercial which is amazing when you stop and think about it and those commercials are just oh that incredible. that ad campaign was the best uh, wyden and kennedy deserves all the credit i'm just talking about getting it started because they they promoted all these shows and i go well why not sports center well sports center was making hundreds of millions of dollars back then it financed everything and and they didn't think that they knew that's the cash count. We don't need to promote it. It's on all the time. And and they came up with the idea of let's give people an idea what the personalities are with these people. And uh, it became one of the all time ad campaigns. Your love for your radio show comes through in all sports every day. And, and going back to, to Sports Center and the big show, obviously, I always felt for you and I loved you know, football night in, in America when you did that. The NBA pregame show, and I always felt like in terms of the fun quotient, when I turned on the TV or the radio and I watched Dan Patrick, and look, you've done so many things, but I thought for you, talking hoops, and that was as first love, tell me if I'm right, for you as anything in terms of a purity and joy of, of a sport, I just felt like you had so much fun when you did that pregame show for the NBA. Well, I knew it. I knew the game. And I probably saw my first game in 1969. I saw just about every one of the top 75 players of all time. I didn't see Bill Russell play, but I saw Wilt and Oscar and Jerry West and the Knicks and Walt Frazier and Pete Maravich. So I, I knew the game, played the game, not at a high level, but I, I knew enough to ask the right questions there. And, um, uh, while I loved football night in America, I, I just don't like TV is a, a whole lot of prep for very little. It's like, you know, you're creating this meal and all of a sudden you're only getting bite-sized portions. And I, I just, it was a little bit more frustrating where is, you know, you can sit down with somebody and have a conversation. That's what's fun. The conversation of basketball, not you got 22 seconds. Okay, back to you. All right, you're going out here for uh, 90 seconds. Coming back to you. Okay, we're going to break. It, there's no, it's like pinball, and it's and it's not fun that way. Whereas radio, the purity of it is, we get to talk about this. I can follow up with this. Now is where I can get something a little bit more. And 
you know, I always appreciated that. It's like when, you know, Michael Jordan was winning those championships to be out there and do an interview with him after he wins those championships. And he always said, I can't do I, after every win, but I'll do the interview after every championship. He didn't say if we win the championship, he said after every Love championship that. and he always came in. And even that final one, when I thought that was it, when he came in, Cuban cigar, Jersey out, champagne, had his shoes on, took them off, autographed them for, uh, you know, the uh, head PR person with the bulls and, uh, had a basketball, had the basketball with him. And I thought that was it. I thought when, when he got up and he left that that was it. And, uh, I just remember for some reason, I don't know why I did this, but when he got up and I said to him, man, it's a shame you're retiring. Wow. He goes, why? He goes, what? What? I said, well, I'd like a piece of you. Now, I'm in my suit and tie. He's in a, a champagne-soaked uniform. And he goes, stand up. So we're in commercial break. Phil Jackson's sitting to the right of me. Stand up. Stand up. He goes, how the bleep would you guard me? <laughs> I put my forearm in the middle of his back. And he gave me probably a 60-second curse-filled monologue. And then he walked out the door. This is Michael thought, Jordan. The, yeah, I know. But I thought if that's the last time I see him, that's a pretty good drop-the-mic exit. But I walk back in. Like, I walk over and sit down, and Phil, Phil shakes his head. And, and, you know, basically saying, what are you doing? You don't tug on Superman's cape. And, and he was right. <laughs> I, I don't know why I, I said it because he gave me latitude to have some fun with him. I could poke him a little bit. I tried to make him less stiff, structured. I wanted him to be relaxed, have fun, laugh, let people see that side of him. And I, I have, I'm a very competitive person and stupid too. So when he did stand up like, how the bleep would you guard me? And I put my arm in the middle of his back and I'm like, like this. And then man, he walked out the door. I just thought, damn, that's pretty good though. Pretty good. Do you have one person <laughs> who's been an elusive interview that you've wanted to interview? And for some reason you've not been able to get on, on radio or TV. No, I, I mean, I, I'd like to have people in a setting where I could have, time to interview them uh you know jordan would be obviously great to follow up with and even look back on that um tiger just doesn't share whether he's capable or not or he, he may not want to which is fine you know i don't get upset if somebody says they don't want to be interviewed um like mike tomlin i have great respect for him i don't think we've ever had him on the show we ask all the time and he politely de declines and it, it might even stem from when USC was beginning a coaching search. And I said that they were interested in, they were interested in Mike Tomlin. Well, it got to Tomlin that I said, like I'm reporting that Tomlin's interested in USC. I just said, there's a wish list. And now maybe that's not fair to Mike Tomlin, but I'm letting people know who are you going to bring in? Like, who are you interested in?
just to give people an idea. I mean, Jimbo Fisher just got fired. People de- put down a bunch of names there. I, but Mike may have taken that personally. Like, don't spread that bleep because uh, I'm not going anywhere. I didn't say you're going anywhere. By the time it gets to the person, then you're in trouble because it's usually, you know, mangled. It's not, it's disjointed. It's not true. It's half true, whatever. And all I was saying is USC is looking everywhere, including Mike Tomlin. But uh, I don't think there's anybody that I, I'd look back on and say that, you know, I Arthur Ashe would have been, I did interview Arthur, but um, I just, I found him, to be refreshingly honest. There was no agenda there when I talked to him. Uh, But there have been so many people that I've interviewed, I I can't get greedy and say, you know, I need to have that person. I I don't. But if I have them, I want to make them great. I want it to be great. And that's always what my goal is. Content is the most important. Content is king. I tell that to my guys. I don't care what it is, content. They're like, uh, you know, somebody said to me yesterday, are you rooting for Harbaugh to be on the sidelines at Ohio State? And I go, yes. I don't, if he cheated, okay, whatever. If he finds a loophole and he can be on the, yes. Oh, so you think he's in his, I said, no, 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 no. You're misconstruing what, no, I'm looking for content. If Aaron Rodgers can come back, I'm not rooting for Aaron Rodgers. I'm rooting for the story of Aaron Rodgers to come back. That's content. It, It helps us every single day. There are certain people, teams, coaches, players, where you probably go, thank God for that person. You just gave me four days of content. (laughs) People ask me all the time, Dan, who do you root for? I said, I root for me. I root for the show. I root for (laughs) Buzz. I root for Sizzle. It's it's really simple. Whatever's going to benefit me and content and the show, that's the desired results. That's what I want. And that's a good segue to the final thing I want to ask you about. Pat McAfee. Because the world mm-hmm. has changed. The business has changed. And I happen to like Pat a lot, professionally, personally. And I love in an interview you did with Jimmy Trainer when you kind of rushed to his defense. And I, I've said that, you know, about, you know, College Game Day, which is a superb show and has been for a long time. And I, I love Pat and he plays to a crowd and it goes from campus to campus. And I, I think he knows exactly what he's doing you know, and then it came out, you know, what he was paying Aaron Rodgers. I couldn't believe that people were surprised that A, Rodgers getting paid, B, it was that much. I was like, guys, of course, that's how it works. Why, in your opinion, does McAfee get heat? And why do you think, because I know I love the fit on game day, why does it work, in your opinion, for him on that show? Well, I don't know if it works because it feels like there is a faction that's pushing back on McAfee on game day for some reason, as if he's not Lee Corso. Well, he's not. He's not trying to be Lee Corso. But I think McAfee has really done it and made it look easy. And I think there's probably jealousy in our business. I don't look at him as a journalist. He's an entertainer. And unfortunately, the business is full of entertainers now and very few journalists. And I think because of that, you get hot takes, people throw out stories. There's really no research done. It's like, here's my opinion. Okay. Those are dangerous. I'm hearing, you know, I got a source that you can, we're we're blurring the lines with that. And I think that that can be dangerous, but I don't tune into Pat McAfee to see him 
interrogate Aaron Rodgers or Nick <laughs> right, Saban. Right, but, right. I mean, if WFAN decides they want to have Aaron Boone on, he's not doing it out of the goodness of his heart. They're paying him. Or if you have Robert Sala on with Michael Kay, you're paying him. Eli Manning, when he was on, you're paying him. This happens in most of your big markets where you're going to pay these people. McAfee just rigged the system for him. Hey, I get Aaron Rodgers. And he tapped into gold. Nick Saban, all right. You want to have Nick Saban on? Go get him. But I, I don't have any problem with that. And I, I, I just think people look at Pat and go, why is he so why is he getting all this money? Oh, he's he gets away with it. He okay, so what? Like create your own. That, that's it, it's supply and demand. That's all this is. They either like you or they don't. And one day somebody taps you on the shoulder and says, Adam, got some nice parting gifts. And you know what? The next person coming in may do it in a different way and kick your ass. And I you know, I always thought that at ESPN. One day somebody comes and goes, Hey. Your, uh, your time's expired here. Uh, we got to bring in somebody younger. I fully expected that. That's why when I left, I wanted to control my own space here, airspace. Mm. I don't have a boss. And I can control what I want to control. And that's why I said I was going to do four more years. And then that's it. Christmas Eve 2027, that's it. I'll be the last show. And I will have no problems with that. I'll find other things to do. But I want to do it in a way where I feel like I'm still relevant, doing it at a high level and not, you know, kind of limping off into the sunset. And that's what my goal is. I give the Danettes a heads up four years, plan accordingly. Uh, my wife and kids plan accordingly. But when I'm done, then I'm done. And I'm happy for you, but I'll be sad for us when when that happens. The book is amazing. Make sure you get it. It is hilarious. It is witty. It is spot on. It is great. The occasionally accurate annals of football. I'm telling you, I, I'm, Dan's not going to give it away. Make sure you read the Tom Brady chapter and the Jets chapter. It's just absolutely <laughs> incredible. Dan, congrats on everything. I love watching. I love listening. And we appreciate the time and congrats on the book. Thank you. Thank you, Adam, and uh, I appreciate you having me on. Rise and Shine is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this episode and you want to hear more, please give a five-star rating, leave a review, subscribe today wherever you stream your podcasts. SiriusXM Podcasts. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So... No, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Vanguard, you're more than just an investor. You're an owner. That means your priorities are Vanguard's too. So whether you're planning for retirement or trying to save up for your next big adventure, Vanguard will work alongside you to set personalized investment goals. That's the value of ownership. All investing is subject to risk. Vanguard is owned by its funds, which are owned by Vanguard's fund shareholder clients. Vanguard Marketing Corporation Distributor.